I'm your host, Nathan Batty. As we get started, I want to take a moment and say thanks to Andrew Martin for allowing us to use his audio recording of the song He Paid It All that we've used at the beginning of our podcast. That's an awesome recording, one of my favorite songs, and he was gracious enough to record it. He sings all four parts. He's uh, posted it for free and he's allowed me to use it. And you ought to check him out on SoundCloud. It's Andrew Martin. He's available on SoundCloud. You can download his stuff for free. Great, awesome work, and we really appreciate him allowing us to use his track in our intro. I want to start off by talking about New Year's resolutions in regards to uh, reading goals, and I want to discuss some of that with you, and then we'll kind of turn into a discussion of some uh, things I've been reading recently for your consideration. So uh, let's get started with some New Year's resolutions. Uh, This is a good time of the year. Everybody kind of sits down and makes up goals of things they're wanting to accomplish by the end of the year and a lot of people sit down with some very vague concepts and they say you know I want to read more this year than I did last year and although that's a good concept that's not really quantifiable and when you make New Year's resolutions you need to make goals that you can uh, measure to see at the end of the year if you've attained them or not you also need to make them realistic you know it's not realistic to say I'm gonna go from not reading any books last year to I'm gonna read a hundred books this year Uh, so we need to make thing we need to make resolutions that are quantifiable, that are measurable, and that are reasonable. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, I feel like a, a reasonable reading goal that every person should have is that they're going to read at least one book per month. By the end of the year, that'll put you at twelve books. Um, if you will make it a habit of reading it, one book is not uh, too big of a goal. It's very manageable. And so I kind of start out on a small-scale basis and kind of go from there. In connection with that, it's really important to have a Bible reading program. Uh, It's important to read religious books, as we're going to discuss on this program, but you have to have a daily Bible reading program. Whether you do that of the morning time, whether you do it of the evening time, you have to set some time aside and daily read from God's Word. I would encourage you, if you have a family, if it's just you and your wife, or it's you, your wife, and your children, to sit down on a daily basis and read from God's Word together. Uh, It's going to take some effort to make sure that that happens every day, but it's going to be very beneficial to you in the long run as you read through God's Word. Now, there's several different ways that you can go about with a reading program for the Bible. A lot of people start out with the goal of reading through the entire Bible every year, and they get somewhere to around Leviticus or Numbers, and they kind of fizzle out as they get into some of the kind of tedious uh, genealogy list there, or details about sacrifice and things of that nature. And so they get burnt out very quickly. And I, I want to say this. If you've never read your Bible through from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, you need to make that a goal. Let me take a step back from there. If you've never read your New Testament in its entirety, make this the year that you read your New Testament all the way through Matthew to Revelation. Now, if you have read your New Testament through before, but you haven't read your Bible, let's make that, since you've already met the first goal, let's go back and let's make it a bigger goal that you're going to read your entire Bible through in one year. 
There's a ton of different reading schedules out there that will help you accomplish that goal. Uh, I would encourage reading basically two to three chapters out of the Old Testament every day and then uh, one chapter out of the New Testament. That'll get you through the whole Bible in about a year. Um, another reading strategy that I found very helpful, if you have read your Bible through uh, multiple times, all the way through, uh, I was introduced to this reading schedule in a, a tract a while back. I had a little advertisement come in the mail uh, by John MacArthur and his ministries, which, by the way, I am not a supporter of John MacArthur. I'm not a big fan of his. He is he's a very hardcore uh, dispensationalist and Calvinist, and so for that reason I give warnings, but um, as they say, every... Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. And, and um, one thing John MacArthur suggested in a reading program that I saw a while back, I thought it was a good suggestion, was to take a book of the Bible. Pick your book of the Bible. Uh, maybe start out with a short one like First uh, Timothy. Read First Timothy all the way through every day for a month. Okay, And as you go along through your reading, you're going to read this book through 30 times, right? Uh, start to think about the structure of the book and where the breaks are and the divisions are. And after you've read it through every day for a month, though you won't have it memorized word for word, you will have a concept of all the different breakdowns and structures of what's going on in the book and know where to find the material you're looking for in that book. It'll be very, very beneficial. If you would read a book a month, um, one book every day for a month, you can get through the whole Bible in about three and a half years. And the reason it takes that long is because you take some of the books and you read them through. You can read multiple books at a time, like in the Minor Prophets, because they're so short. Uh, but then there's some longer books, such as Matthew. You can't read Matthew through every day for a month, and so you need to break that up into about two or three sections. But anyway, by going through this method, it takes a while to get through the entire Bible, but you will have read it more thoroughly and have a better grasp on the contents of each book than you will simply by reading the entire Bible through one year at a time. Okay, So those are a few uh, suggestions that I would make for reading programs and reading goals. Uh, one of my personal goals this year is to start reading a uh, you know a commentary or a, a Bible book in connection with every book of the Bible. It's going to be a program that takes me several years to get through because of the, the amount of material involved. But I, I've started that goal, and I've decided that, that in one of my reading groups that I do on Monday nights where I give out assigned reading, uh, this year our goal is going to, make, to be to make it through the Pentateuch. So with that in mind, I signed out to guys... And the group, uh, a book by T. Desmond Alexander titled From Paradise to the Promised Land. It's an introduction to the Pentateuch. And we're going to be reading through that to give us kind of a big picture view of what's going on in the Pentateuch as a whole. And then we're going to go back and we're going to start in Genesis, read a, read a book of Genesis in connection with reading the book of Genesis. Then read a, another commentary in connection with Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have made it through the entire Pentateuch. And then next year, Lord willing, we'll either go with the Gospels or we'll go with the books of history in the Old Testament. But a little bit at a time, uh, hopefully uh, in about six years' time, I will have made it through the entire Bible, having not only read the text, but also having read a book in connection with it to give you some, some pointers about uh, big concepts to keep in mind as you go through the book. So that's where I am. If you want to join us in that, kind of read along each week. I'll give you an update on where we are in our Pentateuch studies. Uh, if you want to read along with us, you can get a copy of From Paradise to the Promised Land on Amazon. 
Um, I haven't stocked this in our bookstore because you can buy it cheaper on Amazon than I can get it from the publisher, and so it makes no no sense for me to to do that. Anyhow, um, if you will get online, order up a copy of, copy of From Paradise to the Promised Land. You can read along with us as we go. I'm going to skip the first six chapters in the book because the first six chapters, this is a discussion of the dating of the book, the author of the book, the uh, the, the setting in which it occurred, when it was compiled, uh, textual criticism, refutation, some things like that. Um, not necessarily real relevant to our disc- to our purpose of reading through the Pentateuch. And besides that, we'll, we'll cover some of that material in some other books along the way that do it in a little more precise a manner than what Alexander does. Alexander's going to be more information, kind of information overload for people in that regard for the first part, for the most part, if this is the first time you've read through that. So anyway, um, I'm going to start uh, next Monday taking some guys through that book. We're going to read chapters 7, 8, and 9. And uh, on the next program, I'll discuss briefly some of the pros and cons, some of the big picture ideas that were presented there. So if you want to get a copy of that, you can follow along with us week to week. Now, currently in my Monday night reading group, uh, we're finishing up William Lane's commentary on the book of Hebrews. It's been a really good book. Uh, if I would recommend this as a reference guide if you plan to study the book of Hebrews. I like his book because it's a big picture view. He's taken large chunks of material. He's showing you how to break down the book structurally, and then he's giving you the big picture view of each portion. He's not doing a verse-by-verse. He's written a larger two-volume set that's part of the Word Biblical Commentary series. But in this, it's called Hebrews, A Call to Commitment. You can find this on our website at christianresearcher.com if you want to order a copy. He's given us a big picture view and shown us a lot of things to keep in mind as you're reading uh, through the book and studying through some of your big picture concepts. Now this week, we were in the last chapter as we're wrapping it up. And it's a discussion of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, through chapter 3 and verse 25. And one of the things he points out on a big picture scale is that this last portion of Hebrews is really tying up the concept of the Hebrew brethren being on a pilgrimage. And being on a pilgrimage, there's a number of things that they have to keep in mind. There's some final admonitions that the writer gives them. First of all, they have to remember the concept of discipline. They're going to have to discipline themselves if they are going to be remain faithful through a time of great persecution that is coming upon them. The Hebrew writer says they have not yet resisted to bloodshed, which implies they are going through serious persecution, and they may, in fact, uh, have bloodshed in the future, but right now it hasn't yet reached that. So, as they prepare for even more difficult days ahead, they need to practice self-discipline. In connection with that, he also goes on to talk about how they need to, as, as much as possible with them, live at peace amongst their brethren and seek holiness. Seek holiness in everything that they're doing. In chapter 13, he picks up with this concept of pilgrimage, and he points out several key aspects of the writing there. First of all, he shows that the Hebrew writer is concerned that the brethren practice hospitality. Now, that's something that the South is known for, but maybe we're getting away from a little bit, even uh, amongst churches of Christ. We get busy in our life, and I realize that happens. Um, I live a busy life, you live a busy life, but we're going to have to set some time apart on our schedule and make it our goal to practice hospitality one with another, because that's how we build our relationships, we strengthen our relationships, 
And though we may not be going through hard times personally right now, maybe our brother is. And by showing them hospitality, it's an opportunity to visit with them and to help them, help strengthen them and get them through some difficult times. Or maybe they're not going through difficult times now, but we build those relationships so that when we do face difficult times, we will have a good foundation to work off and build off of and to rely upon. Uh, not only does he admonish them to to practice hospitality, but they need to be diligent in expressing brotherly love to one another. They need to be very careful to guard the institution of marriage because how they view marriage will affect their faithfulness. It will affect their influence on society around them. They need to uh, rid themselves of the concept of greed as they express brotherly love towards one another as the concept of kind of getting your focus off of materialistic possessions in this life, recognizing that you are a pilgrim and you're moving from the exodus that you have received in Christ from the bondage of sin and trying to make the eternal rest or paradise your home. Another aspect that he emphasizes is the need to respect authority. This is really important for the brethren, um, the Hebrew brethren, because as they go through their wilderness wandering period, they need to recognize the leadership that will help them through the wilderness, just as Israel needed to recognize the leadership of Moses and Joshua in their wilderness wandering period as well. Uh, in conjunction with that, as you focus on brotherly love, helping your brethren out, showing hospitality, uh, respecting the authority leadership of the leaders in the congregation, you also need to have a focus on praising God and worshiping God because of how he has been faithful in fulfilling his promises and how Jesus has come to provide us a great high priest. Now I want to share with you a really good quote. Right in the middle of, uh, toward the end of chapter 12, there's a discussion about how you have not come to Mount Sinai that's trembling in fear, but you've arrived at Mount Zion. And on that, Lane has this to say. I thought it was worthy of quoting. He says, Our attitude toward reality tends to reflect another aspect of the materialism which affects us so profoundly. If something lacks materiality so that it cannot be grasped in a tangible way, we tend to dismiss its reality. That's why the preacher deliberately contrasts Mount Sinai, a mountain that is material, with Mount Zion, the city of God, and heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews affirms that the greatest expression of reality is God and the assembly of those who gather in his presence. When we come to the city of God, we come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. That helps us to resolve the issue of what is real. We come to him who is real. What he's pointing out there is we have a difficulty because we can't physically lay our eyes on heaven. And we haven't physically experienced it yet. We tend to think that it doesn't exist. And so he reminds the Hebrew writers of Sinai, where people did physically experience the moment. And he's saying that was a terrifying moment. That was a shocking moment where people could experience it. But we're looking beyond through the eyes of faith to a greater moment where we have joy, not fear and trembling at the presence and reality of our Savior. So I just thought I would share that little quote with you and a little bit of background on what's going on in Hebrews as we wrap that study up this week. Uh, another book that I've been reading through with some guys, my dad recommended reading a book called Kingdom Come by Sam Storms. As past week we read out of Hebrews chapter uh, 9, excuse me, out of Romans chapter 9 through 11. And um, I haven't particularly been 
overly enjoying this read. Um, I've enjoyed the discussion that we've had, but there's different parts of it that I'm just not crazy about. Um, Sam Storms, is, he's written this book to combat premillennialism and to present an amillennial view, and to that end, he's done a pretty good job. But um, as he deals with different topics, I can think of different authors who have done a better job of the material. For instance, um, he has two chapters that are dedicated to a discussion in Matthew 24. Um, he presents the position that the break occurs in Matthew 24, I think it's about verse 36, and what comes before is all about the destruction of Jerusalem, and what comes after is about the second coming of Christ. Um, I think Andreas Kostenberger, in his book, Jesus and the Future, does a better job uh, teaching Matthew 24. If you're going to take the position that Sam Storms takes, I think um, R.T. France in his commentary on Matthew does a better job of presenting that position than um Sam Storms does, but uh, Kostenberger has a little bit different take, and I found that quite interesting. Um, we may do a review on that at some point to give you more of a better breakdown, but I would recommend Kostenberger uh, over Sam Storms on Matthew 24. Again, if you want to pick up Jesus in the future, you can do that in our bookstore at christianresearcher.com. Uh, Sam Storms has a discussion about the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9. Um, I thought it was kind of a mixed bag. I definitely think that Peter Gentry did a much, much better job discussing that in his really big book on uh, Kingdom Through Covenants. He has a chapter dedicated to that specifically. That's some of the best material I've ever read on Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Uh, this past week, as he was discussing Romans 9 through 11, uh, he did a pretty good job overall, but again, I've read better. Um, I would recommend getting Alan Bonifay's commentary in the Contending for the Faith series on Romans and reading his section on Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, Alan is kind of a condensed version of Jack Cottrell, who was really good on that section as well. But um, again, Sam Storms did a pretty decent job, but I feel like Alan Bonifay is much better in his comments on that. Um, a couple of random things that I read this week. I've started reading a book called Uncorinthian Leadership, written by David Starling. I came across this book because it was recommended by D.A. Carson or Don Carson. Some of you may be familiar with him. And basically what it's doing is it's presenting how poor leadership lent toward all the problems that they were having at Corinth and how Paul was combating their false leadership or their, their weak leadership, I should say, by presenting uh, proper leadership to them and giving us a great illustration of what leadership looks like in the Bible. Um, another book that I read is a book called Biblical Prophecy by John H. Selhammer. Uh, I like Selhammer when he's teaching out of the Old Testament and the Pentateuch particularly. He's done some good writing, although I would disagree with him on his days of Genesis 1, and maybe we'll get into that another time. But anyway, generally speaking, in the Pentateuch, he's pretty good. So I picked up this book on Biblical Prophecy by him. And I discovered he's one of these guys that, though he's good in one area, he's not good in another area. He is a dispensationalist, and even for a dispensationalist, I didn't feel like he did a very good job presenting his um, position. And so uh, if you've read anything by John H. Selhammer and you're, you've seen this book and you're thinking about getting it, I would just suggest that you save your money. Uh, there's better material out there. I hope this discussion this week about these different books gives you a little bit of insight uh, I hope that you'll consider picking up a copy of 
from Paradise to the Promised Land and, and kind of reading along with us as some of our discussions in these episodes will center around some of what we're reading in there. And um, if you have any questions about any of these other books that you would like some more specific details on, uh, you can feel free to write us at christianresearcher at gmail.com. Uh, submit your questions, submit your recommendations. Uh, if you have uh, some books that you would like to hear reviewed, you're welcome to submit a suggestion, and we'll consider doing that. Um, but anyway, I hope you're having a great week and that you'll uh, like our podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, it's the Been There, Read That podcast. You can go find that, subscribe to it, and share it with others. And appreciate you tuning in today. hope you'll join us again next week for another episode. Thanks and have a great week. our sacrifice. He paid the, he paid the price, the price. He paid it all upon the cross. No longer bound by sin or with eternal loss. He took my sin washed it away. When I was immersed in that watery grave, I heard that gospel call because he paid it all.